Well, good morning. Good morning. Isn't that a great video? I just love the stuff we do here. Put your hands together. You can do better than that. Some of you, that's the most cardio you've had in weeks. Amen? But uh, we're, we're starting a series called Reality. And when you think of reality, what comes to your mind? People say to you all the time, well, let's be real. Or that's not reality sometimes when they're talking in the context of God because they don't believe in God. And they'll say, well, yeah, I like to deal in reality. So reality is, for most of us, uh, an understanding of that which we can see and taste and touch and feel. And it all kind of comes back to the five senses. And that becomes our reality. And so everything is tested by the scientific method. And that becomes reality. But is that really what reality is? All of us have this sense that there's something beyond what we see and feel and taste and touch. Even the skeptics of the world will say, well, yeah, there is the unexplainable. There is the supernatural. They'll talk about miracles that are unexplained. And so we all acknowledge that. The Bible says it like this. The things which are seen are temporal. They're temporary. But the things which are unseen are eternal. So is that which re is real, is that which we can see or that which we cannot see? I can't see my eternal soul, but I believe it is real. I cannot see God, but I believe God is real. And what I want to do in this series is take you through a combination of things that relate to science and Scripture and pull things into a, an understanding of what is reality and how do we flow in what is reality, not ignoring, not dismissing in any way scientific advances that we find in our world today. In fact, acknowledging that they are really on a path of discovery as well as everyone else, the discovery of the true God. I want to show a picture uh, to you right now of a little girl named Tegan. She's in our church. And the reason I wanted to show you this, because she is living in a reality right there. She is in front of our prayer wall, and she probably doesn't understand a lot of the implications of that, those prayers that are in that wall. But what she has is she has a concept passed on to her, from her parents to say this is an important thing. This prayer wall is going to be a part of your life. It's a part of our life. And so what it does is it begins to shape her concept of what is important, what is real, what really makes a difference, that which is eternal. And imagine if you could take children and continue to shape their hearts to believe God for great and mighty things. Imagine if you could take the children that we have responsibility over and teach them that you don't have to accept the limitations given by reality, but you can move beyond that into the supernatural and at the same time not be weird, right? Because sometimes what we do as believers, we dismiss that which is uh, functioning in our world, in the scientific world or other things, and we say, well, that's really not important. No, it is really important. Because remember, every advancement in science, in medicine, in law, government, whatever, was brought forth by a human being shaped in the image of God to take dominion over the earth. So it was all by God's design. And we don't, we don't separate those things out, and so we isolate them, and, and therefore we become kind of something from another world, and yet we can't relate to this world at the same time. I believe it's a both-and proposition. I believe that we can do great things together, and we can advance with our mind, with our heart, with our soul, and all of those things. Amen? 
So um, I came across a quote. I thought it was really interesting. We're going to talk about memory. And a lot of people, they'll say, well, you know, I don't, I don't have as good a memory as I used to have. Yes, you do. You just don't use it. Your mind doesn't stop functioning. You shut it down. Hello? All right? What happens is we just stop thinking, stop remembering, and therefore it becomes unimportant to us because we think, well, I don't have to go to work. I don't have to go to school. Why should I memorize? Well, because your mind is worthy of the investment of time. You know, some things in our, in our memory are important and we hold on to them and we persevere in them, and some things we dismiss as unimportant because they're not necessary in that particular moment. Have you ever parked at LAX? If you ever parked at LAX, you know that it's important to be able to remember where your car is. Would we all agree with that? To me, that's really the least of my importance when I park. I just think, no, I've parked, it's fine, I'll eventually find it. My wife is careful to remind me, take a picture of the column where the car is so we'll be able to find it. But then I forget what floor it's on. You know, I don't know, one, two, three, four, I don't know. I think I went up an elevator. I don't know where it is. But, but the reason I do that is because the location of my car in that moment is temporary. I remember my car. I remember the color of my car. I can pick my car out of a lineup, so to speak, because that car is important to me because it takes me places I want to go. But a temporary parking place for me is not, not that important. And so what our mind has this marvelous ability to do is to separate out that which is really important from that which is not so important or temporary. And it's marvelous how our mind works. But I came across a poet I thought was really good. He's uh, uh, an Italian poet. He died in 1950, but uh, did some interesting work. And, and, and here's one of the things he said. We do not remember days. We remember moments. And I began to kind of think about that a little bit. We don't remember days. There's so many days that I think I'll never forget this day. Have you ever said that? Or that sunset, I'm going to stare at it a little bit longer so I don't forget that sunset. And it takes 30 seconds. You go, what did that sunset look like? It's almost as if God says, I'm going to give you a bunch more of those. And every one of them are going to be crafted by my hand. Every one are going to stimulate your mind, your imagination, your understanding, your knowledge. And I'm, you don't have room in your brain to remember every single sunset. But what God does is he gives us a mind that he wants us to use, and we remember moments. And then this poet went on to write this. He said, the richness of life lies in the memories we have forgotten. And I thought about that a moment. The richness of life lies in the memories that we have forgotten. There's something that we know is true in those moments, even though we can't remember the details, but they shape us into who we are. Our mind is a marvelous thing. As we talk about memory, we're going to show you how this kind of relates to uh, life and science and how you can use memory uh, really to, to push forward in the kingdom and in your own personal life. came across an article I thought was, uh, the headlines just grabbed my attention. It's a... Uh, the, it was in the uh, Wired.com online source. It said, the rise of DNA data storage. Well, that got my attention right there. And I began to research a little bit, and I realized that what they were literally doing, and it began in 2006, it kind of took a new step in 2012, and really has gone really, really big in 2016, and that is to take knowledge, data storage, and store it in human DNA. The problem is there's just so much knowledge that's ever increasing in our world that Silicon Valley cannot create space big enough, digital space, 
space on tape or on shelves, enough space to store all the knowledge that we're constantly creating in our world. And what they discovered was that what God had done in DNA, our terminology, what God has done in human DNA becomes the largest storage container in the world. In fact, it is without limit, technically speaking. So let me just give you a little, a few highlights from that article that'll kind of get us into this game of, of uh, memory and what the Bible has to say about it. Uh, here's one of the quotes. DNA storage could be the answer to the uniquely 21st century problem that is information overload. Don't you feel that? You open up Google and you say, I want to know the definition of this, and they give you three million pages. I just want one word from it. No, I can't give you that. Here's another one. Today's technology is already close to the physical limits of scaling. So all of a sudden, what happens when you hit a wall? You find an option. You see, the walls in your life are not the problem. They are the opportunity for creativity. When you hit something that's difficult or challenging or impossible, what do you do? You find a way. You either find a way with the creation that God gave you called your mind, or supernaturally, God catapults you into something you never imagined before. But whatever happens, those are not the problem. So when storage capacity became a problem, what did they do? They said, let's find a way. And they said, wait a minute. DNA offers limitless possibilities. What if we could store all this content in human DNA? What would that do for us? Well, let me just go on and give you a little bit more of what it says. DNA uh, has information storage density several orders of magnitude higher than any other storage technology. Now, it doesn't say it has greater. Notice the term it uses here. It says storage density several orders. In other words, if this is like one order of being, these are several. This is, this is beyond our expe expectation. Beyond our understanding is the capacity for DNA to store information. Now, my science fiction mind can go all kind of crazy ways with this, and I could create uh, comic books and video games and everything with just that idea. I could also take and push it into the end times and talk about what would happen if all the DNA on, on planet Earth was stored or all the knowledge was stored in DNA and all of a sudden you wanted to import that into a person in the future called the Antichrist who would then be all-knowing except he wouldn't know what God knows. That would be interesting. Just a little side note. Isn't it interesting it says that those who take the mark of the beast will not be able to go into heaven. I was having a discussion with Dan uh, between the services. He was in the first one, and we were chatting about it. And he said, I wonder why. And, he, and then we just kind of began to speculate. And he said, I wonder if it has something to do with it changes who you are, your DNA. And then after we left that conversation, I got to thinking even deeper. And I thought, DNA is eternal. Now watch this. Your body goes, but your soul and your spirit remain. What constitutes your, who you are in your soul and your spirit? It is, the, it is what the, 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 the structure, the infrastructure of your DNA. We know now that DNA has a memory, that is, the things that you know today, you think they're deja vu, and you go, I feel like I've heard this before, it very well could be a memory trace from a relative that goes back hundreds of years which is all the reason more why you need to understand who you are, what you do, and you can affect generations, thousand years in the future. By the way you apply yourself to God, the way you apply yourself to, to learning, by the way that you live your life.
This is why God says it's important. Well, enough science fiction. Let's go a little further. How dense exactly is this DNA? Imagine formatting every movie ever made into DNA. It would be smaller than the size of a sugar cube, and it would last for 10,000 years. Wouldn't that be great? Think of the old days when you remember the VHS tapes, and you get bigger and bigger containers to hold these VHS tapes. And then somebody comes along and says, yeah, those are no good anymore. Here, try this. Try this little disc. Oh, I like this. Look how convenient this is. And now they say that's obsolete. We're not even going to put that in your computer anymore. You're going to download everything. And now you can't even download because now we're going to stream everything. And what's next after streaming? I don't know, but it's going to be cooler. Right? Right? So anyway, let's go on. And, and, and let me probe a couple of questions. Here's the first one. How does your memory, how does the Bible say somehow, how does your memory affect your future? The things you're thinking about now, the things that you recall from your past, how are they going to guide you, help you, discourage you, or defeat you in the future? That's an important question. Because we always think about the things we encounter, the opportunities we get, but we sometimes don't think about memory and how it affects us, how it changes us internally. And I'm going to show you from a scientific way, uh, approach, how it does actually do that very thing. Here's the second question. How does the Bible tell us, what does the Bible tell us about memory? Does the Bible have anything to say about its importance and its effect on each and every one of us? And the third one, do demonic forces use my memory to control my life? That question is really interesting because if my memory is a part of who I am, can the enemy take my memory and then use it to somehow control my future? So let's just jump into this. Um, you were designed by God. You were marvelously designed by God with a brain, with a spirit, with a soul for a reason. And the, the design of God made you in his image, that means you have infinite capacity, so to speak, to learn, to understand, and to guide. You have a DNA that we've already realized has a greater storage capacity than anything Silicon Valley can create. So what, is, uh, what do we understand from this? Well, David DeWitt, who's a neurologist, says this, human memory is quite unlike a computer's uh, and infinitely more amazing. Now think about this. He said that human memory is unlike a computer's, but it's infinitely more amazing. So your memory is more amazing than the greatest computer that will ever be created. This is what he's saying. Let's go on. He, he writes this further. He said, unlike computers, our brains are self-organizing, self-governing, and self-repairing. The processing center doesn't file memories into a separate place. Instead, our brain uses the same cells that store our memories to process information and to build memories, build memories by making new connections between those existing cells. So your brain is able to do all those functionalities and more of a computer, but what it does is it's able to connect dots that a computer can't connect. Neurologists call these uh, telegraphing thoughts. So a thought comes to you, it telegraphs over here in an unpredictable manner, it telegraphs over here and over here, and all of a sudden you come to something called a deduction, or you come to a conclusion. And you go, wow, I, I came to this. Somebody said, well, how did you come up with that? 
And you really don't know how you came up with it, but you, you knew that there was something happening in your brain that were putting pieces together. It's just as simple how God can use it. For example, the Bible begins and tells us that Cain and Abel came, and Abel offered a, a firstling of his flock. He offered a lamb uh, as a sacrifice before God, and as he offered that sacrifice before a lamb, we saw a picture of the Lamb of God, and the next thing you know, you see the Jews offering lambs as a picture of a coming Lamb of God, and then Jesus announced, or John announces, here's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, and then your mind jumps into the book of Revelation, and you see a lamb standing as though it's slain in the throne room there, and all of heaven is worshiping and saying, worthy is a lamb that was, that was slain. And you realize, wow, my mind did that. My brain put all those pieces together, and somehow in that, it didn't become something vague uh, or opaque. It became something very, very clear, very, that I could put my arms around and say, wow, God gave me that insight into that truth. And now I can just bathe in that truth of God's word. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13, a familiar verse, but I want to really kind of take it into this next depth of understanding. Look what it says, forgetting. Just stop there for a moment, forgetting. Do you realize that comes in way of a command? There's some things you need to forget. Now, what, what we learn about, uh, about the brain is that two things have to happen. There's a, there's a remembering side of it, and we'll get into this a little bit deeper, our mind has to remember things, but our mind also has to and is designed to forget certain things. And that's a really, really critical thing. So uh, we call this persistence in that neural world, and we call, uh, we, we call this transience in the neural world. So what we're saying is it's important for you to take things in to hold on to them, but it's also important for you to let things go. If you don't let things go, you don't make room for the things that you need to have, and what you do is you clutter up your mind and you damage the neurons in your brain. That's not good. When I was in high school, my dad said, if you drink beer, you're going to kill brain cells. And I came home one day, and I said, Dad, I just found out we have like an infinite number of brain cells. We're only using 30% of them. I said, i got to kill a few off. He said, just start using the, the, the 30%, and I'll be happy. So anyway, when we think about our brain, we don't think about it being, you know, about how marvelous it is, but your brain actually, that, that knowledge that was given out years ago is not found to be true because our mind is constantly making new cells. It's called a neuroplasticity. That means our mind is able to sh be shaped into new ways of thinking, and toxic thoughts can be removed, but you can also put toxic thoughts in it, and it clutters up the whole processing of your mind and, and keeps you from being as who God wants you to be. And so what we want to do is we want to dig into that a little deeper. But look what it says, forgetting those things which lie behind. Okay, I'm going to forget the things that lie behind, and what am I going to do? I'm going to reach. Now, Tammy used the illustration of a baton. We have to reach for something. In other words, it's not easy to reach into the future. There's something in us that wants to be lazy and wants the future to come to us. No, it says forgetting what lies behind. Now you're going to have to reach into the future. And when you reach into the future, look what it says, reaching forward to those things that lie ahead. I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So I have to reach and I have to press. Nothing is automatic, nothing is easy. You say, you look at somebody's success, you go, they had it so easy. No, they didn't. You didn't know the countless hours they had crying and weeping and sweating and bleeding to get to that place in their life. Nothing in life is easy. And if you think it is, and you are living on another planet, I'm telling you, life is challenging. It's been challenging since the Garden of Eden where God, where Adam and Eve sinned, and he looked at Adam and he said, you're now going to work and it's not going to be fun. 
You're going to toil, and it's not going to be fun. You're going to sweat, and I'm going to create weeds and thistles and thorns, and they're going to keep you from being successful and making it easy street because I want you to know the price of sin. When you don't like your job, remember it's because you sinned. No, it's because of my boss. He sinned too. David? You see, it's all a part of that big picture. So, so what he says is, I press on. I got to press on. Whenever you feel discouraged, you know what you say to yourself? I'm pressing on. Would you say that with me? I'm pressing on. Because you're not unlike anybody else. You say, well, it's just me. I have the worst job in town. No, you and 8 billion other people have the worst job in town. Because you don't want to work. You ever dreamed of winning the lottery? 50, I've never even played. I don't even know how you do it. Scratch and sniff. I don't know what those things are. I, I, I don't even know what it is, right? But every once in a while, I go in the gas station. It says like 150 million. I go, I only need to win once. And then I, then I think, what would I do? Would I show up at work? Nah. Would I come preach on Sunday? Yeah. Be a great offering. You know, your, your mind kind of goes there. Why does your mind go there? Because you're trying to avoid the curse. You see, the lottery, and I'm not anti-lottery, all right? If you play the lottery, the devil's had that money long enough, let's get it back in the church, amen? Amen? I'm not it, but you know, ultimately, what it is, it's my goal is easy street, right? Am I wrong? My goal is easy street. I've got to find some way that I don't have to go to work every day, and if I can play scratch and sniff for a buck, I'm going to do it. Remembering is, is persistence. Forgetting, forgetting is really important. What do I have to forget? I have to forget things like hurt. Anybody here ever been hurt? Just raise your hand. Just one time you've been hurt. Let me, now look around and see the people's hands are not up. Hurt them afterwards. How about angry? Anybody ever been angry? Raise your hand. Angry. Okay, that's good. Most people have been angry. How about revenge? Anybody ever want to get even? Yeah, not really critically even, just kind of even, okay? Because you got to do Christian even, not non-Christian even. How about failure? Anybody here ever failed? Raise your hand. Fail. Okay, now look, you got to forget that stuff. I can't. Yes, you can. You see, what you say is I can't. That is, I want to remember it. I want to remember it. Why? Because I either want to punish me or somebody else. I hate it when those things apply. But you see, you have to forget it because you can't reach toward the, the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus if you hold on to it. You, you can't have it both ways. You know, you ever, anybody here ever been angry and just didn't want to get over it? Just go ahead and be honest. I'll raise my hand and say, I've, there have been times when I wanted to be angry, I knew it was wrong, and I didn't want to get over it. Just raise your hand. Can I look around? Anybody not got their hand up? Yeah, yeah, the hands go up like crazy after that. Okay. Can I tell you that it's not necessarily a spiritual problem, it's a physiological issue? Do you realize that you, you're designed, it, in anger, one of the things that happens in you is your adrenaline begins to surge, and you have an adrenaline rush. 
and quite honestly, you can get addicted to adrenaline rush in your system, whether it's from anger or from a sport or anything else. And that addiction feels so good that you're torn because you feel good because of this adrenaline in your system, but your spirit and your soul and your mind say, this is wrong, I shouldn't be angry. And so you'll say, I'm not ready to get over it yet. What you're really saying is the adrenaline's still pumping and I need to get it down because I am enjoying the ride. Hmm. You ever notice how it's easy to get angry when your adrenaline's up? It's because instead of going from here, bottoming it out all the way up to here, you only have to go from here up. So sometimes the things that we do is not because we haven't read our Bible, gone to church or whatever. It is because the physiologically, the way we were designed, we were designed to function in a certain way. And what we have to do is understand the way your body works so that it doesn't take control over you, but you can take control over your body. Make sense? All right. So what, what happens is, well, we have fan, phantom in, images of the past. You ever, had, you ever seen a phantom? You ever say, what was that? I just saw something. Right? You ever had that moment? Oh, that was a phantom. What was it? Do you realize your spirit and your mind have phantom images of the past? All of a sudden, it'll pop up. I don't even know where that came. Why did that person's name come to my mind? I hate them. Why are they, they, why are they doing it in my head? I never dealt with them. I never dealt with the issue. I still was trying to remember it because I either wanted to hurt me or hurt somebody else. You ever, you ever just said, I'm not going to forgive them because I'm going to punish them? You're not punishing them. They don't even know you're mad. And if they did, they wouldn't care. They'd go, good. I like it when you're mad. They're free and you're in bondage. You want to be set free? You just forgive. You say, well, they don't deserve it. Well, like you do? Who do you like? Jesus? Last time I looked, we were all sinners, amen? Okay, so what you do is you just say, i got to release them for my sake. Because nobody can serve two gods. If I'm letting them control my emotional life, then they're my God. I want to be set free. I want God to control my emotions to give me his joy, his peace, and his understanding, amen? All right, now let me take you to 2 Corinthians. I'm going to draw a picture of the brain. I've really never seen a real one, but I've seen cool pictures, and they look like this. They look like a brain or E.T., one or the other. Okay, so anyway, all right, so your brain, so you uh, take your scriptures and look at this, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5. Though we walk in the flesh, okay, so I'm living out my life in the physical man, we do not war according to the flesh. In other words, the real enemies are not the people with skin on them. They just seem like it. It says here, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, that is fleshly, but mighty in God for pulling down. And notice what it says. We're going to pull down some things like strongholds. Remember, he's writing to Christians here, and he's saying, Christian, you can have a stronghold in your life. Well, what is that stronghold? It's something that captivates and controls the climate of your mind. 75 degrees in California yesterday. It was perfect weather. I didn't even care if part of the world was experiencing rain, mosquitoes, humidity, or snow. I didn't even think about it. You know why? Because I was controlled by the climate I was in. Come on. You let that sink in. Are you being controlled by the climate, someone else's climate? They're having mosquitoes and snow and storms and winds and everything else, and you just like you're living in that climate, 
with your mind. Their turmoil becomes your turmoil. God says, my peace do I give unto you, not as the world gives, but my peace, that your joy might be made full. You have to operate in the peace of God. Amen? All right, look what else it says here. Strongholds, casting down. Now, look, he says, we're going to cast down some things. We're going to cast down imagination. Okay? Imagination. Imagination here is an interesting word because it means reasoning. It's also sometimes the Scripture will translate this arguments. You ever argued with yourself? I do this all the time, and I rarely win. Right? I mean, my mind's going back and forth, and then I get imaginations. I, you know, our daughter would come home from school, and she'd say, nobody like, likes me at school. And, and I, then she'd come home in the afternoon, and she would affirm it, nobody likes her at school. It wasn't true at all, but she thought it was true, and it became her reality. She brought it on herself. She could see everybody who didn't have the perfect look on their face every time she walked into the room. Therefore, they don't like her. And guess what? Things were happening to her brain she didn't even understand. It happens to all of us, not just her. Okay, and then it says, and casting down every, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge. Okay, so here's the second thing. We got knowledge. Okay. So we have knowledge. It says here that uh, this knowledge is, is actually the word for experiential knowledge. It is something I'm living out in my life. And then every thought, and this word thought here is actually in the Greek word, it means an evil purpose. So what happens is when we're, when we're in this stronghold, when we're captured by this stronghold, we're, we're living our life out with arguments in our head, we're taking this knowledge that's experiential instead of real, and then we're having evil thoughts or patterns, we're trying to figure out a way to get around this or to get even or to get mad. This is a characteristic of bondage. This is a characteristic of a stronghold. Now, here's what we, we know from research in the, in, in the brain. It is that, that thoughts have an emotional component. You cannot have a thought apart from an emotion. Have you ever, like, you know, heard a sound or smelled like diesel or perfume or cologne or anything else, and it brought you to a thought? It brought you to a place. It's because they're all tied together. Your brain works that way. Remember we said how it's all interconnected there? So your brain goes, oh, diesel, that reminds you of dot, 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 dot. And there you are. And you're there. Wow, how'd I get there? You got there because that's the way God created you to be. Wrong thoughts, however, they change the structure of the neurons in the brain. When you think wrongly, you're literally reorganizing and re-engineering the neurons in your brain. Now it's not functioning the way it's supposed to. My computer got a virus or got malware. I don't know what it got on it. I took it down to the Mac guys. I said, fix it. He wants to tell me about it. I don't, I don't care. Just fix it. What's it doing? Well, it's running really hot and it's really slow. He says, well, it's working against itself. I thought, that's what we do when we think wrong thoughts. We're not working against somebody else. We're not working against Satan. We're working against ourselves. And so what happens? We heat up, we slow down, and we're not productive. Hello. You with me on this? This is happening. This is real stuff, okay? Now what, watch what happens here. Attitudes cannot be hidden. You think you can hide a bad attitude? Here's what happens. It, it happens every Sunday here. Somebody walks in, they put on their Jesus face. 
How you doing? Pastor, just never been better. Praise God. All over them is bad attitude. You know what happened. They got the three kids in the back seat. They've been swatting them all the way. Got in an argument with their wife. Somebody got and turned in front of them on their car. They're mad. They put on the Jesus face thinking it's all going to work. No, we know what's going on. You're mad. Right? But we think we can hide that. Let me just uh, let me give you a quote from Dr. Caroline Leaf. She's uh, been here with us, and she does a lot of research in the brain. Attitude is a state of mind. It's not caused because of your circumstances. It's the way you think. A thought plus its attached emotion, and it influences what you say and what you do. If the attitude that is activated is negative, then the emotional response will naturally be a negative or stressful feeling. So you're trying to say something positive with a bad attitude. It's going to come across negative or stressful. Really? Yeah, really. Now watch this. If the attitude is positive, the feeling will be peaceful, and the truth that is, that is your attitude will be revealed no matter how much you try to hide it. If you're peaceful and happy, you can't hide that. You can't fake it. You go, I'm, just, I'm sick and tired of being happy and peaceful and joyful all the time. I'm going to be mad today. You can't do it because it's all coming out from the inside out. The outside isn't a good filter. It's the inside that's the filter. Your identity in Christ is what's really, really important. And let me show you this. One more quote from Caroline Lee. As the person relives the event over and over, you ever done that? You relive a hurt, you relive pain, you relive difficulty, you realize loss in anything, and in, in, in all of us have had it. That's the human condition, right? What's happening is what we don't realize. It wires itself deeper into the mind, becoming the main filter, disrupting normal function. So when you relive it, you're, you're working against your brain, flashbacks, relieve, uh, reliving the bad memory many times a day, strengthen the circuit, making it worse, and deliberating. You're not helping yourself. You say, well, I can't help, I can't stop thinking about it. Yes, you can, because you have the power of will and choice. That's part of God's creation for you. That's how you forget certain things. I choose not to think about that. That's why the Bible says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? By the renewing of your mind. Renewing of your mind isn't a cute Christian phrase. It literally means your mind needs a good scrub. It means that you have to stop thinking the way you were thinking and start thinking the way God wants you to think. That's really what it means. So here's what happens. We have fixed thinking. Fixed thinking says, hey, I'm fine. Don't confuse me with the facts. I'm fine. No, you're not fine, and the, bitter, the quicker you become teachable and say, you know what, I am a little screwed up. Now, how do I fix it? Amen? Anybody here would say, you may not use that term, but anybody would say, I could use a, a little fixing, a little remodeling in my brain. Anybody here? Okay, look, look at all the people that don't need it. I'm just always amazed. See, I will do anything to get you to raise your hand, except give you money. But anyway... Toxic thinking. What is toxic thinking? That's when I'm thinking the wrong thing. And I think on the wrong thing, and guess what happens? I am changing the structure of my brain without even knowing it. Now my mind can't think the way that God wants me to think. I can't be creative the way God wants me to be. I can't be smart. I remember I went to college. College for me, the first year of college, was the greatest experience of my entire human existence. 
up to that point. My dad was paying for college, big win, right? I didn't study, didn't know it was important, big win, partied every night. My parents weren't around. There were no cell phones, so, you know, it wasn't like they could catch up with you. I mean, it was like heaven on earth until I got my report card. And my dad looked at it, and he said, "Um, if this happens again, I know the Army recruiter personally. You are going in the U.S. Army. You know, somehow I developed an ability to learn. (laughs) Skill. I mean, I... The, the dumb kid became brilliant overnight. I don't know what happened. Mot- I was properly motivated. I know what was happening there. All right, toxic thinking. But what we need to practice is kingdom thinking, the kingdom of God. Remember? When you pray, pray like this. In heaven, on earth, right? Thy will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. I want to practice kingdom thinking so that every situation and every person, I filter it through the kingdom of God. Let me give you a scripture, 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2.9, I love this scripture. It says, you are a chosen generation. You see, the chosen generation is a generation that's alive at that moment. It's not an age thing. You are chosen because God loves you. You are now chosen by God to be this generation to influence this world that you live in. You are a chosen generation. Then it goes on to say, a royal priesthood. You know what a priest does? priest goes before God and offers a sacrifice, confess sin, whatever. Guess what? He says, every one of you are a priest before God. That means you go to the Father. You don't need me. You don't need a priest. You just go to the Father and say, Father, here I am. He hears your prayers. He, he removes your sin, all of that, because you're a royal priesthood. And then it goes on to say, it gets even cooler here. It says, and that you are a holy nation. This, see, if, if this was a nation right here, Every one of you who knows Jesus, it says you're holy. So wait a minute, you don't know what I've been doing. No, I didn't say behavioral. I said God's view of you is a holy nation because he's imparted his righteousness unto you. So I stand before him holy, not because I always do holy things, but because of his blood who made me holy in his sight. He says you're a holy nation, and then it goes on to say a special people. You're special. When God says you're special, you're spe- I don't feel special. Too bad. God already said it. You're special. You need to tell yourself, if you would just see you as God sees you, your life would be so much easier. You're seeing yourself the way you think others see you. And that never brings happiness. Comparison will rob you of joy quicker than anything in the world. Because guess what? There's always somebody who's smarter, better, taller, thinner, it doesn't matter. That's not your goal. Your goal is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's your goal. It's really simple. That's success on on planet Earth, by the way. He goes on to say, why should I do that? That I might proclaim the praises of him who called me out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Do you realize that if I don't do that, I can't proclaim his name? I don't want to proclaim his name. I want to tell you about my problem, my burden, my difficulty, my challenges, my hurt, my revenge, my yeah, yeah, yeah. Gives me a pain I can't locate. I want you just to listen now. I'm going to read some scriptures that have the word remember in it. And and you can do this. There's far more than what I'm going to give you. But I want you just to listen and soak it in, okay? I'll give you the reference if you want to write it down. But try to listen the best you can. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. You shall remember 
the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is to this day. First Chronicles 16:12. Remember his marvelous works, which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. First Chronicles 16, 15. Remember his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations. Remember that. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust, trust in chariots, some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Don't get consumed with the power forces of planet Earth. We will trust in God, he says. Psalm 22, 27. All the ends of the world shall remember. He looks down into the future and he says, All the world will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nation shall worship before you. Psalm 105, verse 5. Remember his marvelous works, works which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. And then 2 Timothy 2, 8, remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel. There's some things we want to remember. There's some things we want to forget. Ultimately, we want to reach toward the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because you function better. Because your computer's not filled with malware. Your head's clear. You can be creative and smart and happy and joyful. You can be encouraging to one another. You can really appreciate your brother and your father, your heavenly father. You can appreciate all those things the way God designed you to, to do that. Amen? Let's stand together. And as we stand, uh, the first step in this journey is always the, the step of faith. It's coming to believe that God is who he said he is. He's a great God. He loves you that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross from you. And when he died on the cross for you, he did it so that you could have real life, that your brain could be clear and your heart could be pure and your direction could be, could be set before you. That prayer goes like this. You don't even need to close your eyes for this. You can just look straight ahead as God hears when your eyes are open or closed. A prayer like that goes like this. Jesus, you can repeat this with me where you stand or sit. Jesus, I believe he died on the cross, that you were buried according to the scriptures, that you, were, you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. By faith, I put my trust and my faith in you. Save me, Lord Jesus. If that was your prayer and you meant it, God keeps his word. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, here's the promise, you will be saved. You will be saved. That's a promise. It's not because you were good. Oh, super good, God saved me. No, you were super sinful and God saved you. Because he loves you. If that was your prayer, you received Christ in your heart, he saved you today. Today's a birthday for you. July 1. July 1. For you Canadians, it's a holiday. But for you who just received Christ, it's a bigger holiday. Celebration in heaven. All of, all of heaven rejoices 
in someone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If that was your prayer today, I, I want you to know that we want to be a part of your life. We want to help you in that journey and see us, see someone with a tag or one of the pastors, and we'll be glad to help you on that. Or you can stop by Link Central and we'll be able to give you some information. Um, we're going to just uh, close out with one, uh, one chorus of this song. And as we do, can you sing this? And in between those words, as God prompts you, just thank Him for what He's done in your life. Amen? Just sing your own words out to Him, okay? Let's do this. showed us how far he'd go he died on the cross amen you know as we close today I just want to I want to remember that we live in a place in a nation that's not perfect but that God has put his hand on and, and has blessed us as a nation that values God and we have a lot to be thankful for for that amen so let me just close this in prayer Heavenly Father we want to thank you that we live in a nation that allows freedom we want to pray God for real revival and real liberty to come to the people of not just United States, but this world, God. We ask God for the churches, all the life-giving churches, just to speak life and speak truth. And God, bring people closer and closer to a walk with you. We pray, God, for our government officials that they would, they would have the mind of God, whether intentionally or accidentally, God, they would do the things that you want done. And that, God, you would bring about peace and, and prosperity and joy and a movement of God in the name of Jesus. We thank you, God, for this nation. We thank you for the birthing of this nation and what it means and the opportunity we have for the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, guys, God bless you, and we uh, hope to see you at the firecracker run, okay?